Hello and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiasny and I've been speaking to Dr Raj Pasord, the psychiatrist, about relationships, charm and how to pay attention. My name is Raj Pasord. I'm a doctor and a consultant psychiatrist and I work in private practice in Harvey Street, London. How important generally for our mental health and our well-being and our all-round feeling of happiness are our relationships? I think relationships are an extremely important aspect of our mental health and well-being and general sense of happiness. Um, there's a lot of research that indicates people who are relatively isolated, people who are unhappy in, in their relationship, their key relationship or other relationships, uh, tend to be prone to mental health difficulties uh, like depression. Um, but generally speaking, whatever it is that you want from life, uh, you need to get it through relationships unless you were born a billionaire and live on a desert island or want to live on a desert island. Whatever it is that makes life meaningful for most people, popularity, love, even earning money, there's a sense in which that comes through relationships. You have to have relationships with customers or your boss at work and they have to like what you do and as a result agree to pay you. So I believe a lot of the skill of life is the skill of how to conduct relationships. And immediately we enter some controversial territory there because a lot of people think the main alternative theory about how you conduct relationships is, quotes, uh, the let's just be ourselves theory. And there are a lot of problems with that. And I think that people end up in trouble, they end up isolated, they end up with people um, close to them where the relationship isn't working. So I also think confidence in, in relationships is key to uh, success in life. So one of the things I would say is that psychologists and psychiatrists have historically had what I would call a deficit model, i.e. there's something wrong with you, it needs fixing, and then we'll throw you back out into the world. And that derives from a disease model of mental health. I take what might be called a more positive, proactive model which is not deficit oriented what it says is we can always improve how we lead our lives and have more fulfilling and happier lives as a result wherever you are on the spectrum of skill in relationships you can improve your relationship skills and end up being happier and having better relationships do you think our approach to this is something that's changed a lot over recent years i mean you could look back in history say a hundred years and say your status in society, your position, your job, that determined how you behaved towards other people and how other people behaved towards you. Have things changed a lot since then and we have to develop our own ways of dealing with people? You make a very good point. Um, there was a sense in which relationships historically were governed by rules. There were rules, for example, about how you addressed someone that was senior to you. You were deferential to people in the past. And um, a lot of life was orchestrated by these rules. You only have to look at novels like Jane Austen to get a very strong sense of a very structured society where the way men and women behaved towards each other was governed by rules. And part of the art of life was to learn the rules. What's really interesting today is it's not clear what the rules are. Um, and because people are so nervous about what the rules are, it leads them to be inhibited um, in relationships. For example, what one new emerging rule is be very careful not to cause offence. People seem to be very easily offendable uh, today, and so people are much more cautious about saying what they really think about stuff just in case um, it causes offence. And I think 
that another reason why people struggle with relationships in terms of modernity is um, digital technology. It means that increasingly people conduct relationships via their mobile phones, via texting, via messages posted on Facebook. And as a result, I think they're losing the ability to conduct real relationships. At the heart of all real relationships is looking after each other. Facebook and what's up and so on, don't really show you how to look after other people. And it can appear that you have a relationship and you may believe you have a hundred Facebook friends or a thousand Facebook friends, but that doesn't mean you're having a real relationship. So I'm very concerned as a psychiatrist in what I see as a corrosive effect of digital uh, technology in making people worse at being able to conduct relationships. As a result, they end up in trouble because they don't have relationships that end up being fulfilling. And I believe that leads to an epidemic, the modern epidemic that we're seeing um, in divorce, relationship breakdown, clinical depression, anxiety, etc., etc. What is it then that we need to learn or relearn maybe to do differently? One of the things we need to grasp is that we all need to be a little bit better at being amateur psychologists and psychiatrists. What that means is figuring out what's going on inside the head of the other person and looking, and that means deep listening and deep attention, um, to to what's going on. Um, so let me give you one micro example. Um, um, I was in a cab on the way um, here, in fact, um, to where we are in Harley Street, and the cab driver recognized my voice, and I think recognized me from maybe a television program or a radio program. And it, as it as it happened, I was very busy dealing with a like medical emergency on my phone, texting back before the patient who needed some urgent advice. But he kept saying to me. Um, I'm sure I've seen you on television. Um, what is it that you do? Now, my head is borrowed in my phone sending emergency text messages, and I was being very vague. I said, well, it's, I have occasionally been on television. I wasn't ignoring him, but I was being very vague. And he said, so what is it that you do exactly? And I said, well, I've done lots of different things. My very vagueness and the way I was answering should have told the cab driver in between, in between lines, I don't really want to have a conversation about this, but he wasn't picking up on it. Why wasn't he picking up on it? Because he wasn't really thinking too hard, in no disrespect to him, and not being skillful in figuring out what's really going on. What's really going on is I appear to be having a conversation with you, but I'm sending you a signal I don't really want to have a conversation with you. And I think people are increasingly unable to see beyond the surface. A person has said something, but what do they really mean? What's really going on? And Freud, of course, is the pioneer of this idea that it takes quite a lot of skill to figure out what's going on inside people's heads. So we need to become a little bit better at that, and we need to become a little bit better at thinking what is it people are looking for. What I was looking for in the cab journey was a quiet cab journey, and we need to think about what are people looking for and how do I help supply that. People are so overwhelmed with their own psychological needs, like that driver had a need to have a connection with me that that overwhelms people in terms of their ability to think about how do I figure out what the other person needs and supply um, that need. You've spoken and written recently about uh, the idea of seduction. Is that a phrase that has a bad reputation these days? It tends to have connotations of of power, possibly of coercion, of getting somebody to do something that they really would rather in their in their right minds not do. How do you reclaim that? Yes, I did a talk, a TED talk that has become famous um, on the psychology of seduction. It's had, I think, 
approaching three million views. And by the time people hear this, maybe having over three million views. I wrote a book that became a, a top ten bestseller called "Simple Irresistible: The Psychology of Seduction," and it is true that the word seduction has entered a very controversial territory. Uh, what with the Me Too movement and so on, and the male-female dynamic flirting in the workplace. These are all deeply problematic ideas. I meant the word seduction in a more broad, wider sense of the notion of stimulating desire in the other person. And in a way, the, the, the fact seduction has run into trouble as a word, it tells us what the problem is that I'm trying to solve. We're introducing another way of thinking about it. Now, if you ask people what is a seduction, and by the way, I mean it in the widest sense of the word, not the narrow erotic sense. What I mean is getting people to like you. Seducing someone is getting person uh, that other person to like you. But I use the word seduction because it has a slightly stronger, harder edge, which is the notion of stimulating desire. Getting the other person to desire you or fancy you. It's interesting today that one of the reasons why people run into trouble is they don't quite understand what the word seduction means. So this is one of the reasons why people are, are boorish or perform sometimes perform um, something which might be regarded as an assault because they don't quite understand the way you conduct a relationship is get the other person to like you or desire you and then they'll do the work for you. Um, so uh, the, the other thing about seduction, about the stronger, harder edge of getting people to desire you, what we're trying to do is create an energy in the other person whereby they're going to pursue you, given that you want to be pursued. So if you ask young people today, and I'm going to sound very patronizing and like a grumpy old man, what is a seduction? They will say something like, well, you go into a bar, you see someone you fancy, you get blind drunk, they get blind drunk, you fall into each other's arms at the end of the evening. Now, I have to tell you, that is not a seduction, though I do observe that happening a lot of the times uh, around me. What a seduction really is, is you meet someone in a bar, you detect the fact they don't really like you or they're indifferent to you. Maybe they can't even stand you. But through the exertion of your charms, and I do mean that in a non-intrusive uh, manner, you turn this oil tanker around and they end up fancying you or liking you. So that's what a seduction is. A seduction is inducing change and this state of desire in the other person. One of the other reasons why digital technology is causing a problem here and leading people to be really appalling at seduction, and I think we're losing the skill very rapidly, is on Tinder or any of the dating apps, you simply swipe right or swipe left, depending on whether you're getting any interest from the other person. There is no sense back in the day when I was at university of persistence with someone who's looking a bit indifferent to you. Now, I don't mean persistence in a stalking sense. There is very clearly a sense in which if someone that really is in a relationship has made it very clear they, they don't want to entertain any interest. You have to back away from that. But what I meant what I mean about a seduction is the notion that through charming someone and being nice to them, um, that they get to like you. And that is a lost skill, in my view. In a way, this sounds like something from an old-fashioned Hollywood romantic comedy, the sort of, you know, back in the day, a black and white a Hepburn Tracy film. Uh, but you've got issues with the premises, the way that romantic comedies work as well. Yes, I mean, I think it's interesting that you go back to an era of black and white films, and you're right, there's a sense in which I believe we've lost something from that era. And in that era, people took time to get to know each other, and they took time to seduce each other. And it took so long that the modern generation might find it quite boring, though, films. But that was part of the 
the, the tension and, and the, the, the courtly notion that you see in Jane Austen movies of people taking time to get to know each other and taking time over a period of time to seduce each other. And so that skill has been lost and is a very important part of life. And we've lost something very important with that. If you think about someone like Casanova, who is famous for being someone who um, perhaps seduced more women than any other man in history, though, of course, being a man, we have to take some of his claims with a fair pinch of salt. Um, Casanova himself took quite a long time, historically, to conduct his successful seductions. So the notion of time and and plotting and strategy, these are things that we've lost. now, with modern Hollywood movies, um, the, the, the plot always is that the woman seems to fall into the lap of the guy through accident. And that romantic idea that you don't have to try, if you just hang around, be yourself, chance will deliver Prince Charming. I see a lot of very um, successful professional women in my practice who come for advice on this issue, which is that it's not feminine, according to the Hollywood trope, to uh, be out there solving the problem of being single. If, uh, being single is not in itself a problem, but if you want to be in a relationship, doing something about it, enacting a strategy, or something I even t- talked in my book um, as a search strategy, that scene is not very feminine. You should just wait and Prince Charming will show up. So this notion that we have to do something, have a plan, have a strategy, enact certain things as a way of getting to what we want in relationships is deeply unfashionable. But being in a relationship or finding the right person is no different from any other problem in life. You will have to throw resources at it of an emotional or intellectual nature. You will have to come up with a strategy and a plan. And it won't work the first time around. It may take 10 different efforts before it finally works. So I understand that what you're saying is quick tips, instant things don't necessarily work, but can I ask you for a couple of quick tips for somebody who would like to be perhaps more charming, more seductive in whatever sphere, and how to go about that? Well, the first thing I would say is the notion um, that I've got a date tonight at 8pm, so therefore I will start being seductive at 8pm, and then when the date finishes at midnight, I will stop being seductive. This is the first thing where people go wrong. Seduction should be part of your character, should be a deeply embedded part of your life. Ask yourself a rather threatening question. Are you leading a seductive life? If people said to you, what did you do last weekend? Are you doing interesting things? Which should you relate some anecdotes to what you got up to last weekend? People would go, oh, that's really interesting. There's a sense in which your, your very life is a seduction in terms of is it interesting enough to grab people and draw them in? Um, Another key point is people are waiting for the other person to solve their problem. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling depressed. I will cheer up when I meet the right person. I'm afraid to say it's the other way around. Lead a life worth living and then the right person will pursue you because they'll want to share that wonderful life that you're leading. It's a famous cosmopolitan magazine agony aunt bit of advice. Stop trying to find the right person and start being the right person and then the right person will show up. So the other key point that we discuss in the uh, book and also on the uh, video, the TED Talk, is the notion of find the unfulfilled need in the other person and fill uh, the unmet need, and that is how uh, you draw people in. But the trouble with that notion is the notion of plotting and scheming and planning and strategy in in relationships made famous by Machiavelli, a Florentine prince active around 1500, wrote a very famous book called The Prince, is deeply 
is, is viewed with deep suspicion and, and people are antagonistic to the notion of plotting in human affairs. People have misunderstood this point because they also don't understand something else, that, uh, that relationships, as a very key point, have different phases. There's the attention phase. You walk into a bar or restaurant, see a gorgeous person and fall for them. They have your attention. Um, then you go over and talk to them and then maybe you get to know them and now you're entering the interest phase and finally there's the maintenance phase where you decide to commit to some kind of relationship. The key point here is that different skills are required depending on which phase of the relationship you're in. There's some gorgeous people out there that are great at getting your attention. That doesn't mean they're very good at maintenance or even that they're particularly interesting in terms of the interest phase. So don't confuse attention with maintenance. 99% of divorce is written by the equation, they grabbed my attention and I misunderstood <laughs> the idea that just because they were fantastic looking in a bar, that meant they were going to be great three years into a marriage. That's not quite the same thing. Paradoxically, the opposite problem is also true. There's some wonderful people I know that are brilliant at maintenance. They're committed, loyal, honest, wonderful people that would make great lifetime partners. But they're single. Why are they single? They're not good at the attention phase. You walk into a bar and you ignore them and you're grabbed by the attention-seeking people who are better at being more exhibitionistic at that element of the relationship. So people have to figure out, where am I going wrong? Is it the attention, the interest, or the maintenance phase? Because it's unlikely um, that you're doing everything brilliantly in every different aspect of the, of the phases of relationships. Thank you very much. Thank you.